0: There is no greater honor than to be the pastor emeritus of the greatest church on the planet. So, thank you so much. It's also great to be with you today. And to be with you today in your exciting quest project of Through the Bible in 2022. And I've been following online, and I know in August we made a turn to start heading through the New Testament. And then... In the midst of this going through the Bible, the backdrop, of course, of our lives is COVID and that crisis. And um, uh, the, uh, about a few months ago, Becky and I went to our 50th college reunion and it was, that had been uh, uh, postponed for a couple of years. By the way, I can't believe we baby boomers are already in our mid-70s. The other day, I said to Becky, I said, honey, I looked in the mirror and here is, I am this old guy with this over the hill body. Quick, I need a compliment. And she said, well, Vic, despite your age, your eyesight is perfect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. We went to that, our, our, our college reunion and what, when there was a Q&A with the president, I raised my hand and I said, what has been the impact of COVID on the uh, students? And this president, actually in answering broke down and wept, and said, think of all the friends you made your freshman year, think of all the friends you made your sophomore year, and imagine them gone and not recoverable. And she went on to say, I know juniors on our campus who feel most comfortable sitting alone in their room, looking at their screens. So it's been a really difficult time for colleges and for many institutions, and it's been a hard time for the church, but I have to say, Peachtree has just done a magnificent job during COVID. Um, I've had pastors who have visited Peachtree over the past couple of years and they come away with fresh ideas talking about how energetic our staff is here and how creative they are. So I just want to say a salute to this uh, fantastic staff that has succeeded me and done such a magnificent job during this very difficult time. Let's look at our passage for today. It is Mark's Gospel, the third chapter, beginning with verse 13. Jesus sends out his disciples. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Thus begins Jesus' mission to the world. But we have to ask, why did he choose these 12 men? I mean, there were nothing to write home about. These are deeply flawed people. This was the original gang that couldn't shoot straight. And by the way, you know, Jesus wasn't a quarterback who needed a front line in order to win. I mean, Jesus was the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So why did he choose these men? Well, the reason he chose these men was to show the power of God in the life of ordinary people like you and me. Jesus couldn't explain what it felt like to be forgiven, for that he needed Peter. And today we're going to look at the power of God unleashed in the lives of two of his disciples, and those are Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. But before we do that, I want to have a little quiz with you right now. So class, put on your thinking cap. How many of you have ever studied a poem by Robert Frost. Raise your hand. Yeah, virtually everybody has studied a Robert. I'm gonna share with you one of my favorite Robert Frost poems. It's called Mending Wall. And here's your question. The question is what does the word something refer to in this poem? It's the very first word in the poem. So here it goes. Something there is that doesn't love a wall that sends the frozen ground swell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps that even two can pass abreast. Okay, there's something that doesn't love a wall, and it's really cold, and it sends a frozen groundswell under it, and it causes these boulders to fall down. What is this mysterious force? It is very powerful, it is very cold, and it represents the poet's point of view. Are you ready? I love this. The answer is frost. Frost. Robert Frost is saying, I don't love walls. And everywhere and whenever I find a wall, I try to knock it down. We're here today because of a man who did not love walls. Jesus goes through the gospels knocking down walls. As a matter of fact, I have a friend who's a Bible scholar by the name of Dale Bruner and he says, Jesus is like a karate expert walking through the Gospels, knocking down walls. There was a wall separating Gentiles from God. Haya went Jesus, and down came the wall. There's a wall separating lepers from God. Haya goes Jesus, down came the wall. Wall separating uh, women from the full presence of God. Haya goes Jesus, and down comes the wall. And the same with the poor, and the same with the aliens. Uh, Jesus goes, haya, haya. The gospels echo with the falling of walls. And the greatest haya of all came at the moment when Jesus died. When we're told that the veil was rent in twain into heaven, in the holy of holies. So that means this morning you and I are, are, are worshiping God with nothing between us and him. We are in the presence of God. But here's the thing. The same God who does not love walls between us and him does not love the walls that we put up between ourselves and each other. And one of the amazing things we are going to see in this uh, sermon this morning, and as we look at this, is the fact that there were two disciples who should have hated each other, but they came to love each other because they met in the presence of Jesus. And if these two men had met in any other setting other than the presence of Jesus, they probably would have hacked each other to pieces. Now. Let's start with Matthew, the tax collector. Um, Have you gotten your property tax bill yet this year? We have a ritual in our home. It comes and I go, what? You've got to be kidding. This is highway robbery. Well, back in Jesus' day, it really was robbery. The Romans were very ingenious. What the Romans would do is they would... uh, outsource the collection of taxes to a member of the conquered people and then send Roman soldiers to accompany that person to fleece the population for everything that they could get, then send Rome their share and that person got to pocket the rest. You can imagine how unpopular Matthew the tax collector would have been. I mean, imagine if during the Cold War the Russians had taken us over and there was somebody living in your neighborhood uh, living in a buckhead mansion with servants, and it was financed by collaborating with our oppressors. Um, the words that they used for people like Matthew probably were ones that you can 't use in church and and uh, uh, Matthew was somebody in fact was not al- that tax collectors were not even allowed to set foot in a place of worship in that day now that 's what 's interesting about that is then where did Jesus meet? Matthew, it had to be in the out of doors. Well, what is Matthew's gospel most famous for? The sermon on the what? The mountain outdoors. And CPAs, what are they really good at? They're good at keeping records. And we have in Matthew's gospel, a compilation of the sayings of Jesus for three consecutive chapters. So you could see, imagine in your mind's eye, you could see Matthew sitting at the edge of the crowd and he's scribbling away on his yellow legal pad. But Matthew was, I mean, he was a, he was a bad guy. Um, and he was an oppressor of his own people. And as we know from history, oppression brings up violence. And sure enough, there was a group of violent people who rose up in opposition to Matthew and his ilk. And they were the zealots. Uh, the zealots were like today's Al-Qaeda. They were urban terrorists who would joyously martyr themselves in order to, to take out people like Matthew. On the street, what the zealots would do is, they didn't use bombs like today, they would use blades. And the uh, zealot would have a blade, a big long blade wrapped in the folds of his robe, and he would come up behind an unsuspecting tax collector or Roman soldier and go, ah, and he would stab that person and be gone before the... Person even hit the ground. In fact, the zealots were so fanatical that they would do that to anyone who married outside the Jewish faith. And so you have these two really bad people. You have Matthew who steps on people in order to achieve wealth, and you have Simon the zealot who murders people in the name of God. But what is amazing is these two men came to love each other in the presence of Jesus. They would eat together, they would pray together, they would minister together, probably fall asleep next to the campfire together. And and when Jesus went up into heaven, there's no indication that their friendship diminished. In fact, their friendship may have even kicked into high gear because these two now were going to have to become, for the church, the exhibit A of what the church was going to have to become if they were truly going to reach out to people of all walks of life and truly become one great big uh, global family. Well, this may be hard for you to believe, but before Jesus, no one ever taught that you were supposed to love all people. You were always taught there were people you were supposed to hate. The Greeks were taught to hate the barbarians. The Jews were taught to hate the Samaritans and the Gentiles. The Romans despised and feared the people they had conquered. And now along comes this carpenter who says, you know that, that tender compassion you have in your heart for this tiny slice of people that, that you call your own kind of people? He's, he said, that's totally bogus unless you can expand it to include all people everywhere. The role model is God who causes his Son to shine on all people. <clears throat> the reason christianity conquered the world according to the uh, british historian paul johnson he said it's because jesus himself was so universal Uh, jesus people could not imagine a man who would say i will draw all people to myself god loves the world Uh, he said i will send my people to all people of all nations to teach them all that I have commanded you, to baptize them into all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you all the days. Something in Jesus did not love a wall, and so he took away the W and he said all. Now, here's what I'm leading to, and that is the question, how do we apply this truth about Jesus, this radical teaching to our own world and our own lives here today? <clears throat> and here's, and I want to raise a very practical question with you, and something I wonder. Think about this, did, did Simon and Matthew give up their politics when they became followers of Jesus? Did Simon now say, well, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and you know, it doesn't really bother me that much that the Romans are persecuting my people now that I'm following Jesus. In fact, if you want to be a tax collector and, and that's your gig, hey, I'm really cool with that. You think Matthew, did said, or Matthew uh, that uh, Simon said that? Um, I really doubt it. And so what that raises with me and maybe with you is the knowledge that when, when I follow Jesus, there are going to be other people who are following Jesus with whom I have profound disagreements about some very important things. And right now that thing issue is something that is threatening to tear us apart. I think you all realize that we are living in a time when people are expressing raw anger at each other at a level that many of us can't remember in our lifetime. It's being called the boiling over of America. You probably know somebody right now who um, doesn't go to their family reunions any longer because of the difference of their politics with their loved ones. You probably know someone who is no longer speaking to an old friend because of what that person posted on social media. I know of some small groups that have met in homes for years and now they've gone poof because they can't get beyond their political rancor. Uh, There are people I know who go to political events and then they come to church and say, you know what, the hard right or a hard left, that's what really the gospel is all about. I've had pastors say to me, you know, my people are being discipled many more hours a week by Fox News and CNN than they are from Jesus and his teachings. And all this is happening at a time when we're relating to each other primarily through little small screens. And you can see how this is diminishing the sense of community that we are living with in our society. But let me tell you something. I'm not discouraged, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I had a great mentor back when I was a young pastor, just after the Earth's crust cooled back then. And, and his name was Dr. Mark Kaler, and here's what he used to say. When the world is at its worst, the church must be at our best. And so today I wanna ask us, how can we be at our best as a church in the midst of all that I'm talking to you about? And what I wanna give you is four hayas. I'm gonna give you four hayas, ways to knock down walls and strategies to take with you to knock walls down in Atlanta, in our lives at this important time. The 1st Hayah: make unlikely friends. Be like Matthew and Simon. If you're a Simon, do you have any Matthews? If you're a Matthew, do you have any Simons? All your friends just clones of you? Sometimes I think the world is like a middle school lunchroom, you know, where everybody around every table looks, acts, and dresses, and thinks exactly the same. Do you have any friends who are Muslim? Do you have any people you talk to who are hardcore atheists? I have a story from my own family. In my, my family, my wife Becky's uh, side of the family is blue, blue Democrat. I mean, they They've had people run for office under the Democratic ticket on Becky's side of the family. My fam- family, on the other hand, is fire engine red. Uh, in fact, we are literally firemen and police officers on my side of the family. And, uh, and, and, and the reddest of the red of my side of the family is my brother-in-law, Daryl, who is a retired Southern California police officer, who in his retirement travels around the United States giving marksmanship seminars on behalf of the NRA, and uh, my, my grandsons are here in front right here, and I, I called Daryl a while ago, uh, earlier this year, and I said, Daryl, listen, my, uh, some of my, my grandsons are getting the age where they're going to be wanting to get a hunting license. Would you be willing to come out and do one of your marksmanship seminars the hunter safety seminars for my grandson? And he says, absolutely, I'll be there. So the word of that trickled out through the extended family, Um, Two weeks later, I got a phone call from the bluest of the blue side of Becky's family, our sister-in-law, Sharon, who runs a foundation for libraries in Seattle. Now remember, Seattle has, uh, you know, police-free zones, right? She lives not far from a police-free zone. In fact, Sharon has been an international peace activist, she's traveled to um, Vietnam to protest the leaving of the landmines after the Vietnam War. That's Sharon. And so Sharon calls up and she says, "Uh, what is this about this militia training you're going to be giving? I said, whoa, let's talk. Here, wait a minute. And so we started chatting about this and we went into deeper and deeper conversation. And here's how the conversation ended. She said, you know, Vic, I don't know any Daryls. There is nobody like him in my world. She said, I have never touched a BB gun and guns are this guy's whole life. And then she ended up saying, do you think it'd be okay if I came out when he was doing this and was kind of a fly on the wall and and I could just kind of watch this whole thing? I thought, when do you get your punchline? She was serious. And so we hit up by Asheville I bought her a whole camo outfit to come, uh, and, uh, and she started the week going like this. And by the end of the week, she actually pulled the trigger of a 12-gauge at a, at a target. And after it was all said and done, I finally said, okay, what's your takeaway, Sharon? And here's what she said. She said, okay, Vic, far from being reckless about human life, I saw Daryl as absolutely obsessed." with saving and protecting human life, and that's why he does these gun safety seminars. And, and yes, he's been a police officer his whole life, and that's something I deeply respect. Now, if you took those two and you put them in a room, and you talk politics, they are this far out. But in terms of respect and mutual understanding, there is one last wall in this world. Do you have an unlikely friend somewhere in your world that God wants you to reach out to this week? Is there someone that you'll take the risk to go out and reach out to an unlikely friend? Hayah number one is make unlikely friends. Hayah number two is in your arguments, go ahead and make your case. Be brilliantly devastating in the case you're making uh, and 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 take no prisoners in making your case. But before you do that, first expose yourself to the smart version of the other side. And here's the test of that. Can you articulate the argument of the other side so well that somebody who has that point of view as their own will hear you say it and say, yep, that's it, that's exactly it, you nailed it, that is how I understand this issue. In other words, rather than just giving a caricature of the other side, Give the smart version to the other side. Here's a, I, I had this thought of what you might want to do if, to, to really go after this. If you are a Fox News junkie, pick a commentator on CNN you drop in on from time to time. Or if you are a, a, a CNN junkie, you know, think of somebody on Fox, you know, Laura Ingraham or somebody that you, you drop in on from time to time just to hear the smart version of the other side and not just the caricature. Tim Keller goes even further. He says, we need to even be to the point where we are excellent at critiquing our own points of view. And here's how he does it. This is really wonderful. He says, okay, the the early church in the time of the apostles had four ways that they stuck out and were different in their society. Uh, They were, first of all, uh, they were multiracial. All their gatherings were multiracial. They were... They were passionate about helping the poor. That was number two. Number three, they were pro-life. They, they, birth control back then was dropping a, a baby off on the side of the road and let that usually a girl baby die. And Christians would go out and grab those little girl babies and raise them up. So pro-life. And then <clears throat> number number four was uh, sexual purity. Sex was for only within the covenant of marriage. And and and. Keller goes on to say, he says, now when you think about it, the first two today we see as liberal, uh, multiracial, and care for the poor. And the second two we see as conservative, uh, pro-life, and um, uh, sexual purity. He says, now ask yourself, which one of these two do I most passionately identify with? Which of these makes my blood just really pump really fast? And then he says, okay, once you've chosen the one that you're just most excited about personally, then he said, look at the ones on the other side of that. And then he says, if you just write off the other two, and if you're blind to those other two, you are cutting yourself off from a part of God's truth. In other words, you're putting up a wall, not just between you and other Christians, you are putting up a wall between yourself and God. So you need to go, hiya." to that pride and knock it down that allows you even to critique yourself. Okay, Hayah number three is make Jesus, Hayah, your one and only campfire. What do I mean by that? How did we get to the point where we look at the world through a lens of us and them? There's this theory that I've heard stated in different ways that says, well, what, what happened was when we were primitive humans out in the forest, we used to gather with tribes around campfires at night because alone was not an option. There were hyenas howling there in the dark. And so it would be me and my tribe around our campfire against the world. And especially against those scary other humans at other campfires. And, and, um, and so what this theory goes on to say is, well then today we have sort of a genetic imprint from those old days of, of looking at the world through campfires. And so as we go through life, we are always looking at people as asking, is that a person from my campfire? Uh, we'll look at bumper stickers, we look at clothing, we look at uh, color of skin sometimes, Recently, people would look at whether you're wearing a mask. Is that a person in my campfire? Or is that someone from somebody else's campfire? And of course, as we said earlier, God does not love walls. And sometimes I think God sort of laughs at us. And sometimes he'll play a trick on us. A while ago, I I heard someone say that they uh, were in their house. And they heard the, the doorbell ring. And the, uh, they, they, as they walked t- toward the side door, they could see through the window that, what, w- that there was a delivery man who was standing out on their porch. And as they got closer, they saw that this delivery man was wearing a red MAGA hat. This was not this person's campfire. And this person said that they suddenly flinched. And it was like, what? What number do I call to that company to, to protest the fact that their employee is wearing that political hat? And, I don't, and they're wondering, well, should I say something to this person when I open the door and tell them what I really think? And they were all dreading this encounter with this person. And then they said they opened the door and it turned out that the, the truck that the delivery man was driving had the radio on and it was blasting the radio, it was play, playing music. And then this person said, and you know what it was playing on the radio? It was playing my favorite Christian praise song. And he said, I looked up and said, oh God, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I get it. Um, I feel so embarrassed. For those of us who are in Christ, there is no us and them. Jesus did not create one campfire for Matthew and a different campfire for Simon Jesus himself is our blazing campfire. He is the one light. And you know what that means? That means that two Christians on opposite sides of the political aisle should have more in common than two Republicans who don't have faith or two Democrats who don't have faith. As a matter of fact, did you realize the Apostle Paul's favorite argument for the resurrection of Jesus and that Jesus is alive? He would say, how else could you explain the fact that these people who should hate each other are getting together around a table and calling each other beloved and brother and sister and dear one and breaking bread together. And today, Jesus is still calling us together around the campfire. And you know how he does it? He does it through his church. And he's been doing it through the Peachtree Presbyterian Church for more than a 100 years. This church in Atlanta has been a wrecking ball, obliterating walls. And hi number four is Peachtree. Be all that you have been in this city now more than ever in a big and bold way. Because when the world is at its worst, Peachtree, you have got to be at your best. My predecessor, Dr. Frank Harrington, was obsessed with this being a church for all of Atlanta he was actually obsessed with being the church for all of Atlanta (laughs) if if you must know and and uh, this is a church that God wants to be a campfire a blazing campfire one where the Simons come and one where the Matthews come and where they come and yeah we'll, we'll disagree but then we'll Pull out the marshmallows. We'll have s'mores around the campfire. When I first came to it to uh, Atlanta, one of the first lunches that I had as pastor of Peace Tree was with Andrew Young, the civil rights icon, who uh, was uh, the Democratic mayor of Atlanta, and he went on and on about how much this church meant to him during the civil rights movement. Then imagine how shocked I was when I started leading worship like this on Sunday mornings, and who would greet me at the door but the formerly segregationist governor of Georgia, Lester Maddox and his wife were regular attenders here. And Lester used to grab me by the ears every Sunday and he would say, I'm so glad you're here. I felt like I was his puppy. (laughs) Look around and you're gonna see some potential unlikely friends because this is a church that takes away the W and turns the walls into all, where we believe the best about people with whom we may disagree, and it's all because of Jesus, and Jesus doesn't love walls. And so I'm gonna ask you to do something with you, get your karate chop up with you, just like at a Braves game, here we go. Let's do four Hayahs, are ready? Hayah, 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 Hayah. Join me in prayer. Father, make us to be spiritual black belts that break down barriers to do so only though with graciousness and grace and love. Bring the healing touch of Jesus to broken places in families and friendships within churches and communities in our nation and our world. Let us love others as you have loved us. And may we behold in the face of our sisters and brothers the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ, for in his name we pray, amen.